boldness in our God. Before we get right to that, just say uh, thankful to see everyone that is here this morning. Um, I want to say in regards to my wife and the passing of her uncle this, this past week, she is supposed to be meeting with uh, others tomorrow. Uh, there's a possibility that I will be going to California, but it'll be later in the week. So as soon as I find out something, I'm giving the men a heads up. <laughs> uh, I assume that it will not be, I will not be leaving before at least Wednesday. It'll probably be Thursday because uh, she had mentioned something taking place uh, later in the week. So I'm assuming I will be here for class on Wednesday evening, but there's a possibility it might be gone next uh, next Lord's Day. So just as a heads up, but I'll let you know as soon as I can in regards to that and ask for your continued prayers. Um, difficult time for her and her family at this uh, particular time. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, boldness in our God. And I'll just go ahead and put that introduction up there. You can kind of glance at it as I do a little bit of setup for this. As most of us are aware, we have been studying on Wednesday evening the journeys of the Apostle Paul. Our overall kind of approach for quite some time now is to see that bigger picture, and we've done that survey and so forth. And then one of the reasons why we had also talked about looking into the book of Acts is because we wanted to plug in the letters from the New Testament into their time frame within the book of Acts. So as we are taking a look at as Paul's journeys, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians falls into that second missionary journey, time frame being when Paul wrote these letters, the early 50s. He's probably in Corinth at this particular time whenever he writes uh, to the church of Thessalonica. And so I think it's important, I think it's beneficial for us to kind of know those times because it helps to understand the words that Paul writes here. I think it's that setting that background that is contained in the book of Acts that helps really to bring these words to life, so to speak. So as you read, or as we read these words from 1 Thessalonians, you have to think about that setting. We remember this, right? From our Wednesday evening study, second missionary journey, how Paul ended up in Thessalonica because... From Troas, he had received that Macedonian call. He went then over to Macedonia, first to Philippi, and then down to Thessalonica. And we remember studying from that, Acts 17, Acts 18, and how in Thessalonica he had been able to make some progress there in teaching, but at the same time he had been opposed, and he was run out of Thessalonica, and actually by night went down to Berea. But even after a while he was in Berea, there were those Jews from Thessalonica that came down there and stirred up problems for him even at Berea. From Berea, he will go to Athens. Backing up for just a moment. Who was traveling with him? Well, it was Silas, and it was a young man by the name of Timothy. Remember that? He picked him up in the area of Lystra and Derby, Iconium, in that particular region. So if you look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul will mention that he sent Timothy back from Athens to Thessalonica. The reason being was because he was concerned 
about these young Christians. And so even though he had been kind of forced out of there, he certainly had not forgotten them. And he was concerned about them. And so he will send Timothy back to check onto them. Also, we remember, <laughs> Timothy and Silas will join Paul in what city? Corinth. Remember that? And so there's kind of all that information that is contained there. And that will help us to understand what's taking place here as Paul pins these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. One other point. This is the early 50s. When was Jesus crucified? Early 30s, right? It's been 20 years. Can you think about now, some of you may not be able to, <laughs> but can a majority of us think about where we were 20 years ago? I was thinking about Cameron. Cameron was coming to church in short pants then, you know. <laughs> he was just a little bit older than Ellis. But most of us can think back 20 years, can't we? Wasn't that long ago. So Paul could think back 20 years ago to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It hasn't been that long. Paul could also think back 15 years. Cameron would have been going to kindergarten about that time, right? <laughs> 15 years ago. So Paul could think back 15 years, and he would remember that was about the time he was converted. It's just been 15 years since his conversion. My point is this. Paul could think back prior to the time of Christianity. Can you imagine the world without Christianity? Kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Because nowadays you drive across this country in every major city, most medium-sized cities, small towns and various places, what do you see? You see churches, don't you? Christian churches, Christianity, it's everywhere. And so it's hard for us to think about a time when there wasn't any Christianity. Paul could think back to that time when there was no Christianity. The concept of the king and the kingdom was mostly centered where? Among the Jews. But in Acts, the first chapter, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So where was the very first church when the kingdom was established on the day of Pentecost the very first one was right there in Jerusalem wasn't it and then he said in Samaria and we see Philip in Acts 8 he's taking the gospel there and in Judea and then to the uttermost parts of the earth and we see Paul in Acts the 13th chapter right he's in Antioch there's now a church there in Syria. And Paul will carry the gospel and he will go to Cyprus. Remember the first journey? And then he'll go up to Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra and Derby. And churches will be established. 
Think about that. The Roman Empire, there's none previously. And now they're starting to spring up. And then on the second journey, there'll be other churches. Because Paul will go to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, won't he? And then he'll end up in Macedonia. And then there'll be a church at Philippi. And then there'll be one at Thessalonica. And then there'll be one in Berea. And then there'll be one in Corinth. And then he and Priscilla and Aquila will head for Ephesus. And those churches will spring up. And the kingdom is being established. The borders are being pushed. Can you think about that? See, it's kind of hard for us to think about the, a time when there weren't churches. I want you to think about this. When was the last time that you watched, maybe you never watched this, <laughs> you've ever watched, say, Oprah or The View or late night TV and those so-called comedians or the evening news? And they said, now, in regards to this story, whatever it is, this latest event that's taking place, we want to ask somebody about the view that Jesus Christ would have in regards to this. Have you ever seen that happen? That doesn't happen, does it? So the reason why I mention that is this. In the first century, Paul could think back to the time prior to Christianity, prior to the king, prior to the kingdom. So to help us wrap our minds around that concept, I want you to think about in our society, when's the last time somebody consulted the king? And how does his kingdom, his rule, his reign play into this consideration? What does the king think about what is taking place in the Middle East? Could you imagine a reporter saying, <laughs> we're going to bring in somebody who's knowledgeable on the king's word, and we would like to know what does the king think about this? Then they would tell him. What does the king think about what's taking place on our southern border? What does the king think about what's taking place in the halls of Congress? What's the king think about? I'll give you a little funny story right quick. Vivian Road, last weekend, Jerome, however he pronounces his last name, <laughs> Shesnecki, isn't it? Is that the way it is? Jerome's moving to Washington, D.C. So after the evening lessons were over, I went up to Jerome and I said, hey, I hear you're moving to Washington. He goes, yeah, I go up to D.C., huh? And I said, well, that's going to be a challenging work. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah. And I said, well, when you get there, 
do you think you could stop by Congress? <laughs> and he says, what I think I'll do is I'm going to go in there and turn over the tables. <laughs> you know? Kind of like when Jesus went into the temple. I said, might be a good idea. Keep that image in mind for a moment, would you? As we take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because I think we can think in our society today. What's it like without the king? What's it like without his reign and his rule? And then I want you to think about 1 Thessalonians. And here's Paul, and he's starting to spread the news about the king and the kingdom. And he's establishing churches where people will listen to the king and they will want to know what it's like for the king to rule in society and over their lives. So that's really kind of the setup, long setup, for 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12. So to summarize, just very quickly, when you take a, first, a look at those 12 verses, Paul is going to say this. My coming to you was profitable, and we boldly spoke the gospel. Our intent when we came was to please God and not to please men. We labored and worked while we were there because we wanted you to know that we cared for you. And we wanted you to receive the blessings of the gospel and to decide to live a life pleasing unto God. So that's what he'll kind of explain in these first 12 verses. But what he says in verses 1 and 2 is, listen, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness. The King James Version says we were bold in our God. To speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The reason why I want to make that point, and we'll kind of focus in on that concept of boldness, as the New American Standard says, or being bold in God, as the King James Version says. The gospel is what was going to be preached. The good news of Jesus, the King, the Savior. But what Paul is saying also is, this is the way we did it. Sometimes, well all the time, <laughs> what you say is important, but sometimes it's just as important the way you say it. And that's what I want us to notice from this context also, because Paul is going to point that out. Not only what we said, but the way in which we said it. And he said, we said it with boldness. But we're going to take a look at what that means when Paul says that they said it with boldness. In the context here, no less than four times, Paul will mention that they preached the gospel. And that whenever they preached the gospel, that previously and even then, it was met with opposition. I want you to notice verse 11 and 12. Skip down. 
He said, just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he starts that section talking about the opposition they had received previously. And then in verses 11 and 12, he said, this is what we did. And this is what we really wanted. Notice verse 12 again. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Why did we do what we did? It's because we wanted you to know the king. And we wanted you to know the kingdom. You know, sometimes in, in sharing the gospel. Sometimes we can be a little bit of a rush, so to speak, <laughs> to get people to obey the gospel, to respond to the gospel. And what Paul is saying is we preach the gospel and we wanted you to know about this God and what he was calling you to. So you know what that means? What that means is, I want you to know this king. And I want you to know about his kingdom. I want you to know what a blessing it is to know this king. I want you to know what a blessing it is to actually be under his reign and his rule. So as we give consideration, just think about that and how it applies in our life today. Could the king and his reign and his rule be beneficial to our society? <laughs> Do you think his reign and his rule could be beneficial to our government? Do you think his reign and his rule could be beneficial to our schools? Do you think his reign and his rule could be beneficial to our families? Do you think his reign and his rule could be beneficial to your life? That's what Paul's trying to get him to see. I'll give you this little heads up. We'll study this another time. <laughs> you remember the seven I am statements from John, the Gospel of John? I am the bread of life. I am the light of this world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Those seven statements are telling you about the king. The parables that Jesus taught tell you about the kingdom. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, in about verse 44, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he had found it, he went and sold all that he had that he might be able to buy that field. You know, in essence, what that's saying, and this is the way it sometimes happens in life. There was a man who found a treasure in a field. Wasn't necessarily looking for it, was he? But he found it. Do you know that's how some people come to realize 
or to know about the kingdom? Gone long through life, I'm doing just fine. No, thank you. I don't need God's help or anybody else's. I've got this. And then things don't really turn out the way they hoped they would. <laughs> and then eventually they may come to realize, you know, actually, life's kind of hard. And it can get kind of messy. And maybe I do need some help. You know what they just discovered? <laughs> I need that treasure that's buried in that field. I haven't seen it before, but now I see it, how that could be beneficial to my life. In verse 45 and verse 46, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is seeking for precious pearls. And when he finds one, he goes and sells all that he has so that he might be able to purchase that one. The difference is he was looking and he found it. And when he found it, he said, I'm willing to give up everything so that I might have it. So Jesus is saying, whether you kind of end up stumbling onto it and finally come to realize the benefit of it, or whether you were actually seeking and then you found it, and in either case, it's worth everything to hold on to it. So Paul is telling these Thessalonians that we sacrificed so that we might preach to you and we faced opposition and it was worth it. And why was it worth it? Because the message we have is valuable. That's the idea behind the concept whenever he says, we spoke to you in boldness. Wouldn't you like to tell some of the folks that you know about the king and about the kingdom and the benefits and the value of him ruling over their life? And that's what Paul is saying. We had boldness. We had confidence. We spoke to you boldly about God and his kingdom. Notice verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Why would Paul throw that in there? So he uses the illustration of a mother nursing a child. Now when Paul came to Thessalonica. Do you think those people were already living lives that were pleasing to God? No, they weren't. <laughs> so how are we going to get these people to live lives that are pleasing to God? We're going to present the gospel to them, but in what manner are we going to present it to them? And so he uses this illustration of a mother nursing a child. See, sometimes when we see people who are in desperately need of the gospel, or we see people that it seems like they've just totally messed up their life, how is it that sometimes we want to present the gospel to them? See, sometimes when we think about boldly presenting the gospel, we want to say something like, what is a matter with you? That's not what boldly means. See, sometimes we think about the gospel being presented publicly, and we think about people standing, men standing up here before a crowd, 
and boy, he let them have it. He spoke the gospel boldly. Did he? Is that what Paul said? He used the illustration of a nursing mother. Well, it just so happens, <laughs> we ought to be able to realize that real easy, right? <laughs> so let's suppose a new mother walks into the bedroom where the child is laying and says, you need to eat. You are so tiny. <laughs> what is the matter with you? Is that, is that the way you go about it? No, a mother would approach knowing what this child needs. <clears throat> and that's what Paul's saying. But why would he be able to do it boldly? Why would a mother be able to do that boldly? Because she is confident that what that child needs, and she has what is valuable for that person, for that child. Can you see that? And that's what Paul's saying. What we had was valuable. You needed it desperately. And we were bold in our God. Because we knew this is what God wanted you to have. And what we had was the truth. And we wanted you to receive it so that you would know the blessings of the king and of the kingdom. Sounds like I'm getting kind of bold, huh? <laughs> but he said, this is the way we did it. Like a nursing mother giving that to a child. So in all this, notice verse 11 also. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. Paul's using that illustration again, that parental illustration. A father would plead with, beg with a child and say, this is what's best for you. What you're doing is wrong. But this is what's best for you in a loving and caring manner. So those are the two illustrations that Paul uses in this context as he talks about presenting the gospel. Like a nursing mother and like a father that is imploring, begging with his children. So very quickly, I'm going to make these four points and they'll be a lot shorter than what this just was. I want you to know what boldness is and how it's used in this context. Why it's necessary, why we, those who are going to present the gospel, should live according to the gospel. And then, final point, I think this is extremely important. I hope I make this correctly at the end. Why boldness? Or where do we get boldness? And what that does for us. Where do we get boldness? And what does it do for us? So first of all, what is boldness? Boldness is confident. It is being courageous, as I've explained in this context. And Paul says, because we had this boldness, because we were bold in God, then we spoke freely. They weren't giving consideration to other things. Because they were bold in God, they were thinking about God. They were thinking about what he had done for them. 
and the blessings of him being king over their lives and the blessings of them having him as king over their life and being a part of the kingdom. Isn't that what you'd really like to tell people? <laughs> you know, before we ever invite people to church, we ought to invite them to the king. Because what did we come here to worship today? <laughs> we came here to worship the king. To celebrate being in the kingdom. And see, sometimes the focus is all on church. <laughs> the focus is on the king. The focus is on his kingdom. That's the reason why we come together. <laughs> so that we can celebrate the king and the kingdom. We need to keep in mind that as Paul's talking here, and we oftentimes think once again in a public kind of forum, we need to think one-on-one, -on -one, and we need to think privately, and to speak boldly. But as you speak to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, it's not a in-your-face type of approach. <laughs> it is, I am fully confident of the king that I serve. I am fully confident of the blessings of the kingdom. I am fully confident. I have found that treasure buried in the field. I am fully confident that I have found that pearl of precious price. And you know what? You need it too. <laughs> and that's the way we would present it like a nursing mother or like an imploring father. So Paul's wanting us to know boldness is confidence. And that confidence is what makes you courageous. To speak freely, as he mentions it here. Secondly, why is boldness necessary? Chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. That word vain means empty. It means worthless. Nothing happened. There was no effect that mattered. And so he's saying boldness is necessary in order to keep that from happening. Let me give you a quick illustration because sometimes it's the way it goes. So you're fully confident that you serve the king and that this king is worthy of your adoration and he's worthy of honor and glory and you're fully confident that being in the kingdom is a blessing to your life and that you would like to see them be a part of the kingdom also so they could enjoy the blessing. So let me ask you this. How would you go about, what manner would you speak those words to them? I work at a high school. Prom's coming up. I see all kinds of invitations. It's gotten to be kind of a big thing in more recent years, you know, for somebody to take out a banner or something, you know. But you also see this. A young man may approach a young lady and go, 
you wouldn't want to go to the prom with me, would you? <laughs> it's like, what are you trying to sell? Because it's like, you you failed. <laughs> You're not a salesman. If you were trying to sell you, you just blew that. <laughs> So if you're trying to convince somebody about the king and about the kingdom, how would you say it? But we've got to be fully persuaded that the king is worthy and that the kingdom is a benefit. And so Paul says in verse 1 that their time in Thessalonica was not in vain. And they spoke openly and they spoke with boldness. And there was a result because of the way in which they spoke. Not only what they presented, but the way in which they went about presenting that. Thirdly, why is it necessary then to live according to the gospel? Once again, Paul says that our coming to you was not in vain. And so after Paul says that our coming to you was not in vain. Without looking at the text, <laughs> just think to yourself a moment. If Paul says, well, our coming to you was not in vain, what do you think is going to follow next? Well, you might say something like, our coming to you was not in vain, and you turned from idols to serve the living God. Our coming to you was not in vain, so we convinced you and you obeyed the gospel, and now you're a part of the kingdom. But that's not what Paul says. Paul spends the next 10 verses talking about himself and his companions. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, why would he do that? And Paul was trying to convince them of, is that when they came, he says, you know before in Philippi, we suffered there. Remember that? They had been dragged before the magistrates. They had been beaten. They had been thrown into jail. Paul says, remember that? That's what happened to us previously before we came here. And when we came here, we spoke the gospel to you. We spoke it there. And look what happened to us. And then we came here. We didn't stop speaking it. We did it again. And he says, our message wasn't from error or from deceit. We spoke the truth and we wasn't, we weren't, <laughs> we wasn't, <laughs> correct my English. <laughs> We weren't trying to deceive anybody. He says we were approved of God. And we sought to please God. And not to please men. Or to seek glory from them. And he says we were gentle like a nursing mother. We shared ourselves. We worked night and day to not be any burden to you. We were devout and we were blameless among you and we implored and we encouraged you like a father with his own children. What's Paul saying? You think we're doing this for our benefit? 
what he's saying is, I'm doing this for your benefit. And I wanted to make sure that you understood that and that you could see that in us. Just about a year or so ago, maybe a little more than a couple of years ago, I was talking with one of the teachers at school, and it was this was after, in the evening. He's not a member of the church. I've talked with him various times. His wife was there on this occasion. And we were talking about being in Platte City and a work coming up here and so forth. And she said to me, why would you do that? It's kind of like, why would you go there? See, that's what Paul's saying. I want to make sure you understand. Because in today's society and so forth, if you're going to start a business someplace, there's a reason for it, right? And that's what she was saying. I didn't take it negatively. It's just from her perspective. Why would you do such a thing? And Paul's saying, look, we suffered at Philippi. And we preached the gospel there, and you know that. And we came here and we preached it again. So in case you're wondering why I would do this, <laughs> take a look at what we're doing. And am I trying to deceive anybody? Or am I trying to trick anybody? Or am I getting something out of this? Paul's saying, no, it's for your benefit. That's why I'm doing these things. And that's why Paul is saying it's important for those who preach the gospel, those who would teach the gospel, to make people under or to make sure that people understand why you would do that kind of thing. Why would you share the gospel with a friend or with a neighbor or someone else? So that they might enjoy the blessings of the kingdom. So that they might come to honor the king. And so Paul is saying that's necessary so that our lives or our message won't be in vain. And then fourthly, where do we get boldness? And what does it do for us? Well, you know, immediately we might say, well, Paul said our boldness was in God. And that's absolutely true. <laughs> but I believe we need to understand something about that so that we can appreciate it and make application of it. Our boldness, or we were bold in our God, verse 2. And Paul then tells them about Philippi and the things they had suffered and so forth. And that's that's kind of the setting for his life and for his service in the kingdom. Why did, why did Paul do that? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. Paul said, it's no longer my life. Why do you do that, Paul? Because it's no longer my life. I've given it to him. Turn to Colossians, the third chapter, and verse 3, real quick, if you would. As Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he's explaining, once again, 
to those who were Christians at Colossae. In verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul said, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Similar to what he said in Galatians, the second chapter. It's no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. I died. All those selfish sort of desires and worldly ways that I had previously, Paul's saying you should have put those to death. And now you live for the king. And the king rules over your life. And that's why he would do these things and why he would suffer for the kingdom. So what Paul is saying is, I've been set free. So follow his reasoning here in these 12 verses. He said, we did not do this to please men. You know what often, oftentimes, why we're not just kind of free to share the gospel as we would? Because sometimes we're worried about whether or not this is going to step on somebody's toes. That's not the real concern. <laughs> sometimes they may have to be stepped on. But that's not to say that we take pleasure in it. Because Paul is all already qualified how you should do that. Like a nursing mother or an imploring father. But that doesn't keep you from sharing truth. And that's what Paul is saying. We had boldness. And where was your boldness? It was in God. Because I knew this was right. I knew this was the truth. It had been beneficial for me, and it would be beneficial for you. And so this is the what I will present, and this is the way I will go about it. I have been set free from worrying about what people may think about this. And has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. <laughs> well, what are they going to think when I tell them? And Paul says, you're bold in Christ. And then the second thing is, he says, we did not come to you with covetousness or with greed. In other words, we didn't do it for money. And see, sometimes that can keep people from speaking the truth. You know why someone is not on the evening news or someone is not on Oprah or someone is not on The View or someone who is not on late night TV sharing with them what the king thinks is because that doesn't sell, does it? We can't make any money doing that. And there's a real risk if we do that the money we're now making, we're going to lose. <laughs> and so Paul says, we didn't come to you with covetousness or with greed. I've been set free from what men think. And I've been set free from worrying about money. Because my security, my future is in God. And so that's what he was focused on. And because he was focused on that, then he could share the gospel openly, freely, 
Not worried about what men would think and not worried about whether or not this will have a financial impact. I want you to think about this, and this is what we're going to close the lesson on. In the book of Leviticus, it's a book all about holiness. It's about being set apart. And one of the things that is talked a lot about in the book of Leviticus is sacrifice. And it's talking about an animal being sacrificed. And we understand that. That where there is sin, that a death had to take place. We understand that, right? And that's what that was symbolic of. There has been sin, then a life must be given. A death has to take place. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about those animals being sacrificed. Hold that thought. Turn to the book of Romans. Romans, the sixth chapter, and then we're going to come back to Leviticus. Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 3 and 4. Paul says in verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now back to the book of Leviticus. Here's an animal. Here's a life that is going to have to be given because there has been sin. In Romans 6 and verses 3 and 4, he said, we've been baptized into Christ's death so that we can be raised to walk in newness of life. Here's the language that's used in the Old Testament. An animal had to be sacrificed. And when an animal was put to death, the blood was released. They would slit that animal's throat and the blood would be spilled upon the ground. Leviticus also tells us that the life was in the blood. When death took place, what he's saying is the blood was released. Therefore, the life was released. From that old body. Symbolically, the life was set free. Can we see that? So Paul says in Romans 6, You've been baptized into his death. The old man is put to death. You are released from that old man, you are released from those sins. You are released from that old life, and now you're raised to walk in newness of life. Paul says, I'm no longer living by the old rules. <laughs> there was a time when I would have been concerned about what men had to say, and that would have kept me 
from doing what I need to do. There may have been time in that old life when I would have been concerned about financial things. That would have kept me from doing what I needed to do. But now, I'm bold in God. Can we see that? That's a new life. That's a new release. <laughs> That's a new lease on life, as we sometimes say. And that's what Paul said. We were bold in God. And that's the why that we spoke like we did, like a nursing mother and like an imploring father, so that you might honor the king and that you might enjoy the blessings of the kingdom.